Entrepreneurship on 702. Eliane Smuts is my guest. She's CEO of Credo Growth, coach and author she is. And uh, we're going to be talking about the various leadership styles um, for teams, uh, for people that are in the business of operationalizing, uh, I suppose, a particular value proposition in a company. She joins me now on the line. Eliane, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate your time. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting to you. So, so let's talk about leadership. I mean, uh, so many books, so many so. conversations, so <laughs> many uh, gurus, so many people talking about leadership. Uh, fundamentally, yeah. I mean, let's really distill it, uh, uh, Leanne, and then we can talk about the various le- leadership styles. Mm. Fundamentally, if we really, really, really distill it to its finest components to its most undistillable components what is leadership particularly in business <laughs> um even that is a massive massive uh, answer that we can sit here and chat today the, the whole time but i i fundamentally believe that it really is about how are you getting people to be on a journey together with you willingly that they are excited to follow you into into the kind of whatever uh, target it is that you need to achieve, whatever business it is that you need to grow. But it's being that person that is able to remove obstacles for people so that they can excel well in what it is that they need to do. It sounds to me as though the operative word there is how to influence people so that they willingly follow you or follow your guidance. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, of course, there's many, many different definitions of leadership. But if you think about it, is people are in your if you are a leader, people are in your business, and yes, you pay them their salary and all of those things. But there must be an aspect where they want to be part of that business and follow you because they believe in what it is and and your leadership style that you are um, that you are portraying within the business. So there's there's a there's a lot of responsibility when you are leading people. It's not just a wishy-washy kind of title that you can, that you can claim as for your own status. There's a big responsibility to it. I want to I sort of walk into this conversation step by step. And, yeah. we talk, and, we talk, and we're talking about business. And mm. very often we talk about people who manage teams, right? Uh, your, yes. your managers that are looking after a particular operational aspect of a company. And then you have leaders who are the founders, the visionaries, the, the people that work at a strategic level. What is the difference between a manager and that, and that founder, that guy who starts the whole thing? Um, what is the difference really? So I think very often what happens is the guy that starts the guy or goal that starts the whole thing really ha- like you, you've nailed it now, that visionary element. Um, that doesn't necessarily make, make that person a good leader. Um, so they might have that amazing visionary quality of how to start something and how to create an incredible business. But in order to take the business in further, in order to get people on the journey with you, you need leadership skills. And if you are the founder that have, have those leadership skills, that's an absolute amazing bonus. But if you don't, then you need to put people in place that can also lead people and lead the business. But for me, there's a difference where management is, you think about OKRs, KPIs, 90 plan, 90 day plans that people need to implement and report back on. 
that is kind of the management of operational tasks and making sure that people report into what needs to be done and the people management of things. Where the leadership aspect for me comes in in terms of inspiration, motivation, um, looking ahead, removing obstacles so that people can shine, really trying to understand how, what does it mean to create a high-performing team and then building in those behavioral cultural aspects. So that for me is the fundamental difference between leadership and management. Management is really making sure that people execute on the things that they need to do in order to get the job done. Um, where the leadership holds the creative and the innovation and then especially the space around motivation and inspiration. Do these sometimes dovetail? Absolutely, of course. They, it doesn't necessarily mean, <laughs> and I think this is where a lot of people make mistakes, it doesn't mean that if you're a great manager that you're going to be a good leader. And it doesn't mean that if you're a phenomenal inspirational leader that you're going to manage people yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. so, but they do, they go hand in hand together. Um, and yeah, they, they, there's a very fine line between the two. Well, let's talk about those styles then in mm. leadership and I suppose in context uh, for the leader who is managing processes uh, I, I imagine, uh, and outcomes versus the leader who is managing a an ethos, uh, a leader who's yeah. managing a culture, a leader who's inspirational uh, uh, rather than maybe even transactional, if if I can put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are there are yes. there are there different mm. types of styles in that sense? You know what, there's, there's so many different um, tools and methodologies out there. So, for example, with Credo, when we work with clients, we often speak about situational leadership styles. Yep. And that is where you make the difference between are you task-orientated or are you more people in relationship-orientated. And that will identify, and based on that matrix, we, we look a little bit at, like, are you more directive? Are you in, on interactive, intensive, or, you know, that laissez-faire kind of style? Yeah. But then... That's on the one hand. And then another approach is, is to look at what type of social style or personality style you are because that's also going to have an impact on how you lead. And in the personality styles, if I can say the high-level personality styles, the, the four main ones is kind of whether you lead from an analytical approach, a driver approach, the more expressive, which is more that visionary type, or then quite the culture um, driven and wanting to create cohesive teams. So it depends a little bit, in, again, in terms of what context are you looking at it. But they all do, do very much speak to almost like your style, your personal style of how you do things. And all, all different styles, have, of course, have their pros and their cons, or yep. their good days and their bad days, yep. if I can call it that. Yep. Yeah. Give us a call, 11-883-0702. Do you lead a team? And uh, do you lead a team that is either task orientated? In other words, you uh, have to build the house by the 13th of March, whatever the story is. Um, uh, so in other words, you, you've got very clear milestones and you've got a very clear deliverable that you need to deliver, right? You need to have built the house in two months time. On such and such a date, the family needs to walk into the house. It must be painted. It must be livable. It must be all of that kind of stuff. Or do you lead an organization, even a team, that needs, that maybe has all the skills that it requires? 
maybe has all of the, the, the tools they require, but maybe they lack in terms of inspiration and motivation. Uh, do you lead a team of that nature? And, and are you the person to lead that team? Yeah. Is this team the team to be led by you? <laughs> Give me a call. I'd love to hear from you. Double one eight eight three zero seven zero two. My guest is Eliane Smits. She is a CEO at Credo Growth. She's a coach and an author. How do we ascertain those questions in order f- to find the most effective and efficient leader, Eliane? Um. So again, it's we speak about situational leadership styles, and that means that. We as leaders need to learn how do we tap into the different styles in different environments and different scenarios. I personally, I am a leader that is very, very much task focused. And I need to remind myself in certain scenarios like today where we had our team was under immense pressure with deadline is that I needed to check in with them in terms of are you okay? Do you have what you need? And what is there that I can do for you to support you in the background? Versus just saying, how far are you with, with um, the task? When is it going to be ready? When can I send the next few proposals out? So we need to actually tap into other styles at different times. And the, the problem is that when we are under pressure as leaders, we tend to go into our default style and forget that the team member might need a different type of style in order for them to thrive. So the question is really like, where, who am I leading right now and what type of style is required for that person? Because if you think about it, if someone is very highly motivated and high, they've got loads of confidence in terms of doing what they need to be executing on, and you go and be a micromanagement mm. type of leader that tells them how to do it, you're going to take their motivation away immediately. Yeah. And over doing that over a period of time, you are going, probably going to lose that person, even though they started off as an A player. I suppose the, the, big, the big temptation, at least in your scenario, as a task-orientated leader, is to try and resist the temptation to actually do the job. Right, it, yes. it, it's it's to try and resist the, the yes. temptation to say sit down. I'll do this myself. Uh, it, it's yeah. really being loyal to the idea that I have people that have the skills and the tools to do the job. My job is to help them do their job. Uh, how how yeah. do you, how do you how do you keep reminding yourself to <laughs> sit down? So um, I mean, the the way that I do it is. In our, in our business with our own uh, uh, team members, we've created a space where they speak up and will go, excuse me, you're keeping this to yourself and you're not delegating and that's why you are drowning. Um, so we've got very, very clear like peer-to-peer accountability up the ladder, down the ladder, sideways in terms of making sure that people don't hold things close to their, close to their chest. Um, and then the, the other thing is really through leadership development processes. So many people are promoted into a leadership position just because it's the next step or they were the specialist in their field and we need to promote them in order to keep them. But they're not being trained on how do I step into different leadership roles in different leadership situations that is required. So that leadership development process is so crucial. Hence also why I wrote the book in the first place. Mm. 
so that for those people who are not getting training, that they can actually pick up this book and read through specific leadership skills that will help them to develop. Just give me the title of your book again, please, Elian. It's called Ditch Mediocrity. Okay. Give it to me yeah, again. And it's like Ditch Mediocrity. Right. Like, ditch it. <laughs> it was going to be a different word in the beginning, and then I decided not to put a swear word on the front cover of my book. <laughs> <laughs> Let me speak to Tato in uh, the East Rand. Hi, Tato. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good, Tato. What's on your mind? Uh, I'm good. Uh, interesting conversation you guys are having. There. Thank you, sir. So my question to the to the guest is that um, what I've realized, so by, uh, my name is Tato. Uh, we run a, a software company in uh, East Rand uh, called Qualtrics Technologies, right? So okay. what what we've realized is that um, we, we have found that uh, there's more strength in less numbers, like with the people you work with, than in more numbers. Mm-hmm. Is that like uh, a something you've also come across or it's just like, it's just maybe like only specified to us because I found that the more developers that we had, it was like it was very sloppy and like everything was just everywhere but now we've minimized into to 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 like six developers and you find that there's more efficiency and more work is being done mm. more tasks are being handled and everything is just mm. i can control like everyone in the organization whereas when, when there was more people it was just like everyone was doing what they thought they were doing probably even not prioritizing tasks properly so i just want to hear from the case, you know. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tato. And, 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 and it's a brilliant question, man. Much, much, much appreciated. Elian, less is more? So, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting one. If I understand Tato correctly, the line was a little bit tricky for me, but that he's now got less software developers, but lower efficiency. Is that, how, is that correct? Is no, that no, no. Correct? More efficiency. So, he's suggesting that he's suggesting uh, and, and his question is basically, in your experience, Helian, are you finding that most leaders make the mistake of getting more people to do a job, thinking that there's going to be greater efficiency and effectiveness? He's finding that he's finding more efficiency and effectiveness through a smaller team of smaller team. people. And yeah. I imagine it has to do also with the proficiency of those of those developers, yeah? I've still got Tato, so if you've got some questions for Tato for clarity, I'm still here. Yeah, that's good. That's absolutely fine. So often what happens is when we've got less people, the leader have less people to to manage and to lead, and then things are being put into place to to streamline certain, uh, like, or to automate certain processes. With software developers, you can imagine if there's a whole room full of software developers and you throw one or two or three people in there that might have a bit more of an expressive personality style, they can disrupt a process for software developers because they technically are deep work kind of people. They need quietness around them. So I can very well imagine that they are achieving more with less people because also what happens is when you have less people, you become very clear around who needs to achieve what. Where if there's plenty of people, there's plenty of areas where you can hide. Um, and, of course, you can always swing it the other way around too, but it is really in terms of 
how do you make sure that every single person knows exactly what is expected of them mm. and they understand the um, kind of the time delays that they might create if they are too slow. But there's also then it's easy for people to build strong relationships amongst one another in a small team. So trust is created. And uh, you spoke about intimacy earlier. We speak about professional intimacy. Yeah. Where people are very, very quickly to say, I need help. Can you help me? Yeah. But in a bigger, but in a bigger team, that almost disappears if people aren't really connected to one another. So I'm not surprised that he's more effective with less people, and I, I think that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I had visions of that movie Three Hundred. You know, Spartans. <laughs> yeah. eh? Uh, yeah. These guys just got 300 people and he mows down that other big million yeah. strong army. And I suppose it's, it's got to do with, with the fact that if people know what they're doing, right? if they really know what they're doing and they are specialists in what they're doing, the, the idea is then to let them do what they know how to do because these are professionals. Yeah. I mean, these, uh, uh, it, it in in that kind of environment it sounds to sorry it sounds to me as though less is perhaps more yeah. efficient and more effective than more if you if you are a leader that can ensure that people know what they need to do that they know what is expected of them and then get out of their way that is when people execute well and when they perform well the leader is often the person that stands in the way and hovers people like in yet um it's kind of you you micromanagement and you constantly there the person can't code well because you are there the whole time and coders need their own space to think and 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 come up with with really incredible language so that they can produce a great product and software but if the leader is constantly they nagging at them then their productivity is going to go down so it, it it's it's no Make sure that people know what they need to do, the expectations, and then get out of their way. Let's take some more calls. Sebo or Sibu is in Turfentine. How do I pronounce your name? Yeah, no, Sebo. Sebo, go ahead. Sebo, go ahead, sir. Yeah, and, and thanks to the guest there. Yeah. You know, a couple of, couple hmm. of years ago, I was, I was a very top performer before I got promoted into management. And when I got hmm. promoted into management, I pulled that along with me. I expected my workers to be top performers like me. Mm. And I was very fast, moving very, very quickly. And then mm. uh, it, and I failed dismally as a leader, as a manager. And I had to be demoted again. So what I want to know from the guests is, what type of leaders are those? Those that are very fast and they mm. want things to happen like yesterday. And they, <laughs> they just want people to perform. You know, they are moving on the fast lane all the time. Yeah. And that's my question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant question, Sebo. Excellent question. Yeah, go, go ahead, uh, Elia. Uh, um, Sebo, I'm laughing because I'm that. <laughs> so it's, it's what we call the driver personality style. Um, it's the directive type of leader. And, and again, there's a good and a bad side to this leader because you are, you, these type of leaders have the ability to do context switching very quickly. They have the ability to multitask. They get things done incredibly fast. The problem is, and to your point, what you said is we leave people in our wake. And then when we are at the finish line, we look back and then there's no one there because they, we've lost them along the way. Um, and I think what, 
what is happening with people with people leading like that is people start feeling lost and they feel unwanted and they feel that they actually why are they even there because this leader takes on all the tasks themselves in any case so on the good side is you are really able to take a team and drive a team forward because without that energy that you can imagine a team will move quite slowly or nothing will get done but with that energy you can also break the spirit of a team so it really is about stepping into the power of that beautiful driving energy and understanding when to slow down and check in with people Um, because the every single team needs every single style and the driver style is that that creates movement but it's important for us to also understand that if we take on all the tasks there's we are literally disempowering people that are that are part of our team um and that disempowering is really not a good leadership trait isn't but it yeah sorry hmm. sorry 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 helian you were saying no you can you can ask your so, question so i was, was going to ask is, isn't that <laughs> the the quintessential mistake that most teams or organizations make that we take our stars right the guys that are really brilliant stars in a particular operational setting and then we want to make them leaders because they are brilliant performers at the operational level when in fact that's that's yeah and, and when in fact that's that's where we should be keeping them or if we're going to use them as inspirational leaders but not get them into the business of the management of other people uh, how do we how do we how do we how do we make that distinction to say this this person is a a hot salesman but he's not necessarily yeah. a hot sales manager no yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely i think what often happens and what we really see is those decisions are made without even discussing it with the person um especially now in tech uh, we've got an enormous amount of tech uh, clients as well as manufacturing clients and what we see is they all of a sudden they hear they've been promoted um or they're up for promotion and of course that's exciting and it's good for ego and it's good for pride and all of those things and then they go but i i just love being the specialist i love being the sales guy and now i have to start worrying about other people and what they do so the first thing that that a lot of people that a lot of leaders don't do is have these type of conversations with our star performers to say is this even a career path that you want to go in because people forget that you can also grow laterally yeah you don't always have to go to the next higher position you can become the specialist of that division and become the mentor for everyone else without having to. so that's a leader without a title if you think about it um but yeah it's it we think that we need to retain talent by just promoting them and then we don't have the conversations with those people i had a conversation sorry sorry mm-hmm. uh, i keep jumping in helena i thought you were you finished that's fine. yeah it's just because before we before the person can say that they yeah they're up for the promotion they also need to understand what are the exact expectations yeah. of when you step into the new role so i had a conversation with another leader sort of coach expert who said to me that you know i'm i'm just remembering as you say now that uh, you can 
move laterally. You you can lead. Mm. And he said to me, there's this myth of thinking that you always have to lead from the front. Yeah. He says you can literally lead from the middle or from the back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm interested to, to hear from you how in the various leadership styles that you've studied, what are the examples perhaps? Because I think we get a sense of what it means to lead from the front. Right. Mm, mm. But leading so, from the middle, leading from the back? We, we actually have named it and we call it followership, um, like the, the art of followership. And that is where you, for example, you change, you might come into a space and you lead one project and then you step back and you give someone else the opportunity to lead that project and then you show the rest of the people how you follow that person that is now in need of this project. So there's no holding on to a specific project or a specific title. It's people really moving through the organization, taking turns to lead a project or lead a division. And then people see in the culture like, oh, hold on, this, people, this person leads well, but they also follow extremely well. And then as you are following there are certain ways to lead like what we now say from the middle or from the back. And that can purely be by in a meeting where you are the one that is willing to ask the tough questions instead of saying, oh, I'm not going to ask this question because I'm going to be stepping on toes. So if you are a team member and you are the one that is willing to show vulnerability to say, guys, I admit I made a mistake and I need some support here. Or, hold on, I'm seeing something and I'm worried about what the decision that we are going to make. Can we unpack this, even though I know um, the manager has already is very keen on making this decision? Those type of brave actions is leading from behind and is leading from the middle. Um, so you don't have to have that leadership title in order to show leadership qualities that will also drive a team. Forward. Oh, these titles, man. Helena. Yes. <laughs> oh, these the titles. titles. Something great, hey? Listen, I, I, I don't I care what you call like, me, just pay me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know my team said to me, oh, we need to do business cards and you need to put this and this on your business. I'm like, can't it just be my name? Yeah. Isn't that okay? <laughs> His yeah, title. Um, Let's talk yeah, to Piri nice. in Alex. Good evening to you, Piri. I agree with you. Thanks for the option. Yeah, uh, go for um, it. Man. Yeah, I mean, I just got a few questions for us, uh, but I'm not a leader yet. Uh, I wish to be one one day. So I'm just trying to observe you know, different types of uh, leadership. That are yeah, based on the, the conversations you and I have had, uh, Piri, you're already leading, my brother. You're already <laughs> leading. <laughs> but go ahead. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Sure, bro. I mean, I wanted to ask, uh, I mean, you've got, uh, how important is, uh, is compassion in leadership? Oh. And uh, one people sometimes, you know, take advantage of it um, when you're leading them, you know, knowing that uh, if I just uh, put a, a day's sleeve or so, uh, claiming that I'm, I'm ill or not, and then my leader will definitely uh, buy into it. And, uh, you know, are leaders, are leaders actually born or, or made? Can I, can I be a leader even if, uh, um, you know, can I, can I learn to be a leader even if I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not a born leader? And maybe just the last question, you know, how, how important is, you know, knowing the subject matter of what you're leading as a, as a leader, 
you know, so that people, mm-hmm. yeah, if they are not, you know, confused or not sure what, what to do, you know, they can be able to run to you and then you can be able to give them proper uh, guidance uh, accordingly, perhaps. Piri, thanks sure, very much. Nice yeah, Helene? <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with your first question, which is around compassion. And it is, it is 100% extremely important. I, there was always a, the, the MD um, of Mercedes-Benz used to say, tough on targets, soft on people. And for me, compassion is to show understanding of what people are going through. But you have to have that assertiveness as a leader to also hold the person accountable and responsible for the outcomes of the work that they need to do. So you can do both. And I think a lot of people sometimes think you either need to be um, task-focused or either need to be relationship-focused. And you can find that middle ground. And the compassion, we, I mean, we work a lot with creating cult- feedback cultures and creating cultures of accountability. And we, you, we train people on how to start having compassion, for example, when someone has made a mistake. Instead of being a leader that goes into their personality and, and have a go at them, it really is about understanding why the mistake was made and what can we do to avoid this. But then hold that person accountable, like, now you know what not to do again, and then taking it further from that. So I hope that answers the question in terms yeah. of compassionate is absolutely necessary. Um, otherwise, people will not want to follow you either. Mm-hmm. And why must they then have compassion for you as a leader when you make a mistake? Um, because, yeah, we make loads of mistakes as leaders <laughs> all the time. So I, that, want, I, want, I want to argue that you can't, you can't have leadership without com- compassion. Mm-hmm. I, I want to argue that any form of leadership is leadership precisely because there's compassion. Any other thing is, is, is a taskmaster. Um, and, and, and I go back to what you started off by saying, Hillian, that when people do something for you willingly, mm. that comes from the magnetism of compassion. Yeah. Um, if, yeah. If, 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 if we are talking about leadership, we're not talking about taskmasters and, and dictators. That, that's not what we're talking yeah. about, are we? Absolutely not, no. Yeah. But I think people have a misconception of what leadership is, unfortunately. Yeah. You will, the, the type of leaders that we've dealt with in the past and how we, and this leads to the next question in terms of whether you're born or can you learn it and the work that we've had to do with those leaders for them to, un, to almost like ignite that compassion within them and seeing compassion as not weakness um, is, is it's quite frightening how many leaders are out there that, doesn't lead with, that don't lead with compassion. I want to talk um, about cracking the whip. Um, <laughs> uh, while being compassionate because I think that uh, leadership sometimes does involve the cracking of the whip of making people remember that there's a task here we've got to, we've got to, we've got to achieve yeah. it uh, and that uh, we can't have too many negotiations and too many signs of too much compassion uh, I want to talk about how we balance that conversation. But let's talk to Joel in Randburg. Good evening to you, Joel. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Joel. If you can just, I think we, we, we're losing you. you. You sound like you're very, very far, Joel. If, if you can. can, can you there you go. Enough? Excellent stuff. Go for it, man. 
great stuff. Interesting conversation that you had. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, so so I, I run a team. So I started, it's an accounting firm, essentially. I started off as a personal service provider. And then as mm-hmm. the business grew, as I got more clients, I got to have a team on board. And now we're at a level where I'm supposed to be hands-off. Uh, the team does the work. I essentially come through for, for the quality assurance. And then my, my main role now becomes the one of just making sure that the business grows and that good relationship with the clients. Yeah. But I find myself just checking back into that space of doing the work myself because mm. that's what I was doing all along when I was still a personal service provider and always feeling like the quality is not there. So instead of training the team to, to, to get the quality to where it's supposed to be because that's what helps the business to grow, I find myself wanting to take the work back to myself and just and just run with it. So so I'm, I'm not quite sure how best can I be assisted to say, as a leader, learn to, to train the team, learn to equip the team, mm-hmm. and thereafter mm-hmm. don't, don't micromanage them, yeah. but allow them to grow in the space as well. Then you might get the quality that you're looking for because if it gets tempting, I was laughing when you were mentioning the conversation to say, you find yourself failing to delegate and just yep. holding on to everything. Yep. And I was like, that's myself right there. And just call in and get some help. And is that and is that not always the the irony of success, right? That that you know when we do get to the place where our businesses are no longer subsistent types of businesses, when they're scaling, when they're becoming um, a, a lot more systematized, that it becomes really really difficult to let go. I mean, I listened to Pablo Fafetidis with. Uh, with uh, Bruce Whitfield to talk about this all the time to say, you know, very often that is the Achilles tendon of leadership and that is to yeah. let go, right? Hillian, how do you yeah. how do you help Joel? Yeah, I, I recognize what he's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I, I think there's, there's many different tools that you can use in order to support you with that. I think the first one is the mentality that we have is, do we actually believe that these people that we, that's in our team, can they do the work or not? Because if you, in your subconscious, believe that they actually can't do it, then, then it's going to be very hard for you to delegate to them. But if you can go from the mindset of, hold on, they are as capable as I am in delivering quality work. They just need a little bit of support. That's already changing your, your attitude towards them. So that's the one thing. The, the other thing that, that often happens is, like you've, you've just said, Joel, I need to train them, but I still take it for myself. And it, there might be several reasons for it, and the one is time. But we, we highly recommend that leaders take a coaching-style approach. We call it leaders as coaches, and we actually train teams and leaders on this, is how do I lead with the coaching framework, with the coaching mindset? so that people can learn on their own because people have the answer within them. Very simple example. You've mentioned that you're an accounting firm. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, um, these are the books of the client, and it's not balancing, and I don't understand why, and before the person has even finished their sentence, you grab it from them, and you look, you quickly glance over it, and you find the mistake just because of your experience, and you say there's the mistake. What that could have turned into would have rather been a coaching conversation to say, where do you need my help? Um, What have you looked at in the past? Where have you tried to look for these mistakes? And then after when they answer you, then you go and say, okay, well, having said what you've just told me, where's the one place that you haven't looked at yet? 
So you're continuously asking questions so that they can come up with the answer. But that mm. takes time and patience. But jo- once you... Joel jo- jo is still here, and, and there's, a, there's a question I'm a little curious about. When you, sure, when, sure, you speak, when you speak of the qualitative side of the results that you tend to want to see, is it qualitative in terms of the work that is done or in terms of the relationship with the client that the work is done for? It's, it's essentially in terms of the, the work that is done. I think, I think Len just made a good example there when she mentioned the fact that someone may bring back um, a certain report and it's not, it's not balancing, for yeah. example. So, so if the books are not balanced, the moment I have a look at that, um, in the next five minutes, I, I would exactly be knowing what the problem is and how to fix it. Or if it's a spreadsheet, I'll be, I'll be able to pick up where the formula is broken and how to fix it. So instead of then sitting down with, with, with the employee and then taking them through to say, listen, this is where you got it wrong. This is where you could have corrected it. I'll quickly grab that, get it fixed, and then I'm the one who then sends it out to the client. Without giving them an opportunity to yeah, learn. Yeah. And then next time they can actually get it to that level. So it's usually the quality element in terms of the deliver of the work, not the relationship yeah. with the client. It sounds to so, me, Joel, that you know a lot of what what needs to change. Jillian, your thoughts about that? Yeah. So there's something that we call the management shortcut. And Joel, by doing that, and I'm sorry that you are now on the on the receiving end of that, but the management <laughs> shortcut basically what you're doing is by doing the work yourself, you are withholding the other person to use their own brain to think things through. And that's all, like, that is whenever we do a management shortcut, we are disempowering someone else there and not allowing them the ability to think for themselves and learn from the, the mistake. So every single time we do that, that, that's also where the disengagement comes from. And eventually what's happening is people don't think for themselves because they, why must I even worry about where to find this mistake? Because I'm just going to go to Joel. He's going to do it for me. Yep. Instead no, no, no. of thinking, hold on, yeah. if I go to Joel, he's going to ask me a few questions. I might as well just think of those answers before I even go to him. And that's where a lot of people already start solving their own problems. Joel, will you listen on the radio for Helene's contact details? Maybe you guys can get in touch and uh, have a, a, a more more substantive mm-hmm. conversation, yeah? Thank you so much. I'll, hey, I'll Joel in, yeah. in Randberg, thanks very much. Yeah. Much appreciated. And it, it appears to me that that's why you constantly hear leaders talk about the incompetence of their teams. Yes. Because, because we don't give the teams the chance to figure it out. No. And then, we, then the leaders get frustrated that they don't come with solutions. They're like, but, but why should we? Because you always give it to us. Sure. It's like a parent-child relationship, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, I'm not going to pick up my clothes because mommy always does it. And the mum always does it. So why would the child, child change behavior? Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating, it's kind of the one It is fascinating. I'm, it is absolutely I, I fascinating. <laughs> Listen, yeah. I, I want to talk about how we teach or how we learn how, how, to, how to step back. Because obviously as parents, as leaders... As managers, as founders of company, the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction is to fix the problem 
and really what you're saying here is leadership in this particular instance is the presence of mind to to stop yourself from jumping in and assisting yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to find out how we actually do that. But let's quickly take a call from Godfrey in Midrand. Hi, Godfrey. Hey, bro. Hey, tada, bro, Godfrey. Hi, hey, hey, happy Easter already. You know, um, <laughs> I, I, we didn't talk and say it's fine. We're there already. Yeah. But, uh, but, I, but I wanted to, to maybe uh, uh, deviate a little from what your the expert is saying sure. and say, have we looked at? the failure of the companies to adapt their pay system, their hierarchy, and delink it from bank. Because for you to get de-link, more, Sorry, I lost you there, Godfrey. Uh, delink it from? To delink it from the pay structure. Because the best salesperson does not necessarily want to be the manager. Yep. But he wants to win. He wants to go on this incentive trip to Mauritius and be the best salesperson and get more money irrespective of his grade. But the grades are so linked to the hierarchy that if you're not a sales manager, you will never make the next salary notch. Have they look, what would they be advised to companies? Because companies are, don't believe in this flat structure. They want to have this pyramid that says you will go up there Otherwise, you will just remain at that level where your overperformance is not rewarded yeah. and you feel demoralized. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Great, great question. I, 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 before yeah. you answer the question, Elian, I, I found that perhaps the, co- the question should also go to not just salary, but the commission structures that allow for hotshot uh, salespeople, and I've seen it before, how hotshot salespeople earn more than the CEO sometimes if the, yep. the, the, the commission structures are, are as, as Godfrey is suggesting, delinked from a particular hierarchy in the, in the, in the, in the, in the organization, which... Yeah, I, I, and, and without interrupting you, Karop, yep. the only uh, classical example remains like your Tupperware, where the owner of Tupperware is even willing to let the best oh. performing Tupperware. Oh, no, oh, oh, no, oh, no. I, beg to differ, yeah. I beg to differ, Godfrey. I, I have worked in situations, I've led sales teams myself where uh, they were earning more than the owners of the company. But I think that the, the principle is there that you're raising to say that... Um, uh, uh, perhaps we need to de-link the salary structure from the hierarchy of the business. Let's see what Hillian has to say. Hillian? Uh, yeah. So, and 100%, I think there's, there's a lot of companies that might be still very extremely old school and say, you can only go to the next salary bracket if you go, yeah. if you jump in, the, in your uh, promotions. And that is where we really want to invite companies to rethink how they remunerate, yep. how the, the type of incentives that they bring in. Um, with some of our sales training in, in our sales courses, obviously depending on industry and things, but we like your sales majority of people naturally are driven by commission and high commission because that's what they love. That gives them that extra flair. So why put a cap on commission? Um, again, depending on the situation of the company and those yeah. kind of things. But 
it's important that people, especially A player people and people who are busy growing and moving forward, that they feel also that their remuneration is aligned. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need to pay people well. And unfortunately in this country and in other countries that I've seen, is there is some of the some of some of the people who lead businesses or who have founded businesses that are trying to pay the least amount but get the most amount of output. And that for me also is not really a generous leader. Yep. Yeah. You're a generous leader in developing people to give them skills that no one can take away from them again, but also that they can actually feel that they are being rewarded financially. So 100%, it's, it, it needs to be delinked and we need to find new creative ways yeah. for different industries around how people can, yeah. Yeah. can up the, the, the salary yeah. ladder and yeah. not necessarily yeah. just from position to position. Yeah. Yeah. I have personally worked for companies where the, the, the commission structure was so attractive that people didn't want to go into management. Yeah, that people didn't want to. And, and I think that that's the ideal for the kind of operational sales leader uh, in that yeah. in that sense, because those people aren't interested in 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 running teams. Yeah. They, they want to make money. So, so I, I hear what you're saying. Your final word, Hillian, as we close um, leadership, mm. different leadership style and. I loved what you started off, start off by talking about when you said situational leadership. Your final word. Yeah. And then, of course, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I, I really just think that please go and develop your skills in leadership. If you're only born, you definitely can learn the skill to be a leader. But it's not just going to come from you sitting in the office and think that you're going to learn through through or you can learn on the job. It, there's amazing courses out there. We do it at Credo Growth, but develop yourself. Pay, pay attention to yourself in terms of your own leadership development skills because no one can ever take that away from you and the people around you will also flourish. So that's do, kind of my motivational Yeah. For you. <laughs> How do we get in touch with you, Elia? Um So it's credogrowth.com. Uh, the website, and I'm also on LinkedIn as Helene Smuts, and you can follow me on Instagram as Helene Talks. Helene, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Hope we speak again. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Much appreciated.